Director of the Palm Beach County Office of Inspector General. And we're going to talk about how they use data analysis and data analytics to help them in their investigations and their audits. We'll talk about some techniques, some tools, and I'll also hear some stories about fraud that they've found. So this is a very interesting podcast. I hope you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, here's Megan Gaylord. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Megan Gaylord from the uh, Palm Beach County Inspector General's office. Welcome. Good morning. All right. Well, so we're actually today at the uh, it's the AGA Fraud and Internal Controls Conference. So it's uh, kind of behind the scenes here, and it's a it's a good place to be since the topic today is uh, kind of the IG and the data analytics that you all do and some of the fraud stories. So uh, why don't we start off with uh, Megan, if you could just give us a little bit about what you do at, uh, at the IG there and uh, a little bit about your organization. My role in the OIG is as the audit director. So I oversee a group of very talented auditors who have both routine auditing skills and forensic skills to do investigative audits, forensic audits, or routine audits. We also, in our office, have a jurisdiction of about 42 different governmental entities, one being the county, 39 municipalities for the villages or towns or cities, and then two taxing districts for the Solid Waste Authority and the Children Services Council. Okay, so quite a large scope there, right? It is. Yeah, how do you guys figure out what you want to audit? There's so much to choose from. <laughs> Every year we do a global risk assessment, and as part of the risk assessment, we just changed it about a year ago for how we were going about determining the risk and focusing more on a national-level fraud-based assessment to determine what areas had increasing levels of fraud. Mm -hmm. Then we'd pick that global category then we'd do a second assessment when we were getting ready to start an audit to focus on which entity within the jurisdiction had the right parameters to conduct that type of audit. Mm -hmm. So example, all 42 entities have revenue, so if the concern is money's missing, you can look at any of them. Sure. But if it's a water utility audit, there's only 20 out of the 42 that have water utility functions, so you have to narrow it down a little bit more by each area. Right. Okay, and can you tell me a little bit more about, so you said that uh, your IG has more of a forensic investigative bent compared to a, a normal IG, say? Can you explain that a little bit more? Maybe not more for a normal IG. The difference is more between internal audit and inspector general audit. Okay. The, the big differences for us are that we can do investigations or forensic as well as the routine audits, where typically an internal audit shop works directly for management they don't have as clear of a line for the independence and they do routine type audits and typically refer out the investigative type audits right. we also have additional standards with the green book that internal audit shops don't have okay but your staff does get involved with some of the forensic audits as well we right? do okay those are always exciting. <laughs> so why don't we dive into the topic a little bit here. So I thought it'd be interesting if you could uh, speak to some of the analytical tools and methods you all use, um, you know, fraud detection, but even just, you know, internal controls and other things as well. Um, so maybe let's, let's just start off with some of your, um, some of the data analytic tools that you all use for your work. 
Well, first, the data analysis is the process of reviewing information, transforming transforming the information and then modeling that information to be able to have useful information to help with risk assessment or suggesting conclusions and decision making, mm -hmm. which is a new feature with the technology capabilities that are available. The analytics can also be used to turn the data into a more focalized tool to get to fraud detection or potentially fraud prevention by looking at the different red flags. For our office, we use the data analytics in a couple different functions. We've just started a data analytics program about a year ago. We use a lot of it to focus on the risk assessment and the initial planning, mm -hmm. as well as during field work to do the sample selections. Rather than taking a 10% random sample, we're taking a sample based on parameters that have a higher probability of fraud or risk. Right. That way we are putting our re limited resources into the areas that have the highest potential for problems. What we're noticing is in a random sample, you usually end up with 5 to 20% issues, a very low ratio. With the data analytics, we end up with 60 to 90% mm. issue that we know when we're picking the item it's already been based on a high-risk assessment so if there is going to be a fraud the probability of it being within our sample selection is much higher than if somebody does a random sample so is that something an, an analysis that you do before you even choose whom to audit or is this once you've already chosen a you know auditee it depends if the audits selected by a routine audit it's based on have we been there before when was last time they were audited right. do they have external audits are they implementing a new program there could be a series of different reasons to select them for the routine audit if it's a forensic audit or a complaint based audit or potentially whistleblower audits mm -hmm. They get referred to us from our intake division who reviews the complaint for what's been violated, what are the problems, and the initial background information where we know where we're going and why. Mm -hmm. And we can use the data analytics to focus in on that area of higher risk or higher concern to support or negate that allegation. Right. Okay. Well, and some of the specific tools, I mean, what are the ones that you would use the most often? I mean, uh yeah, I mean, Excel, but beyond the, you know, Excel, what else, uh, what other more advanced things would you use? Well, you have different levels in data analysis depending on where you are in a company. If you're like our office, we don't have access to all the information because we're a separate jurisdiction and a separate entity from the ones we're auditing. Mm -hmm. So we have complete separation and independence. However, we may or may not have access to the computer system. It's, it depends on if they're going to provide that access. So we can't do a continuous monitoring. Right. But if you're within the company as an internal audit shop or uh, operating branch in an OIG where you work directly with the agency, you have the ability to do continuous monitoring where that continuous monitoring will pop out the exceptions that you want to look at further or potentially launch an audit for. For us, we have a couple different options that we use. If we're just using a basic random sample, a lot of times we'll use Excel in the add-on tool packs because mm -hmm. it's quick and easy and it's already in the program we're trying to use in the end. Right, right. If we're doing 
selections and risk assessment, we use the program IDEA, mm -hmm. yep. which is one of the easier, more friendly programs compared to some of the others. ACL is another leading competitor that's right. comparable to IDEA, but you have to have more of a computer background and able to be able to use it. Right, right. So a lot of people are switching away from the ACL and going towards IDEA. Additionally, if you're not at shop with Teammate or no IG who mm -hmm. uses Teammate, Teammate's right, the mm -hmm. EWP work paper models, Teammate's just launched a data analysis tool pack as mm -hmm. well. It comes at an additional cost, but it has a lot, it's very similar to the Excel tool pack. Oh, okay. That's good. So, and then how, you know, how do you get your staff capable with these tools? You know, you do training, do you have sort of champions that help people or are gurus to go to? Well, so far we've been very lucky. Our initial data analytics person started about three years ago. Since they started, they actually left, but they were more IT-based, mm -hmm. had grown up with technology, and used technology for everything anyways, so they were able to teach themselves how to use the IDEA program through YouTube videos. Wow. <laughs> and, right. and online research with minimal training and minimal effort, so if you have somebody with the yeah. capabilities, it's very logical for them if they're friendly to computers in the first place. Right. Now, since that person left, we ended up with a gap in our resources. We were lucky enough to hire a young lady who had a data analytics background before she got there in a different program. When she came in, we began with the IDEA program and we sent her to a training specific for IDEA and how to set up the searches and the tools and the features that gave step-by-step -step instructions for how to set everything up. Mm -hmm. And then she's staying current through online training and webinars to where there isn't a travel cost that goes with it. That's good, and then does that person help others get oriented as well? Currently, she's the champion for everything. So oh, okay. she's, the I, she's the IT champion who does the data analytics. We're in the process of cross-training other individuals for the same feature, but not everybody is going to do well with data analytics. So if you have a staff large enough, you may be better off to have one person doing the data analytics the same way every time with similar parameters and research. Mm -hmm and have that one person do the data analytics for everything and specialize the person yeah. instead of cross-training everybody and then having 10 people doing 10 different things 10 different ways, right. it could make it harder to stand behind the methodology used for those selections. Right, right. For now, we have one person fully trained as the champion who sits down and understands the planning and the background and the basis for the audits coming up and where the risks for fraud are and does the red flag research so that she can use her methodologies for the specific audit that somebody else is doing. Mm -hmm. That way, a person who's not as friendly with computers doesn't have to try to learn something that they don't think they're going to be able to learn, and it can minimize the stress for those people as well. It's also faster. Mm -hmm. The more the person does it, they get faster and faster at it. Of course, it. right. Well, and I want to get into some of the maybe some examples of some analyses that you found are quite helpful or you've reused similar approaches in several audits. Um. We've had a series of different really good 
low-lying fruit areas to get those who don't understand data analytics to buy into the data analytics. Mm -hmm. Because so long as you're on your own island, it's not going to work. So we identified areas that we could get low, quick wins as the starting place. Mm -hmm. So one of the easiest areas to get those types of wins is purchasing card or credit card audits. They always have findings even if you do a random sample you will always have issues within the programs but they also have a unique ability to find potential waste or fraud and is directly using taxpayer dollars so the citizens and the media tend to care much more about it even though it's a lower threshold where in a private sector company it might not be as beneficial but in the government sector you almost always find different problems in those areas you can use the same types of tests from purchasing card audits for disbursement audits payroll audits IT security general ledger capital assets there the features apply across just about all types of financial information if you're using the financial information the first place is to start and make sure you have good information, though. If you're using bad information or you don't understand the information or how the process works, the information is going to be rendered useless to you or you're going to draw a bad conclusion. So one of the first starting places that we have before we take any information or data from somebody is we sit down with them and we walk through all their computer processes to make sure user access is controlled, mm-hmm. data inputs controlled, and we find out the computer process for how the information gets into the system and how it's controlled once it's in the system. Once we have that information, we use different things for applying filters, round numbers, duplicate payment entries, joining and matching data, mm-hmm. which is a lot of times used for the non-financial data, which has proved to be very interesting. We used the join and match data initially for one of our projects a few years ago and the auditor was able to uncover a scheme to defraud the government where the government employees used their address to create a shell company Hmm. and they were routing the government funds to that shell company and it was all found because the company in the master vendor list matched the employee master file And once that was found, then it was as simple as clicking a button and finding out how much had been spent with that vendor because it was confirmed that the vendor didn't exist. Right. So that ended up in a joint collaboration with us that the audit team found the issue and identified the amount of money and the different pieces of it. It was then turned into an investigation for further interviewing. From investigations, it went to the state attorney's office for prosecution, and then it led to the employees who had that shell company being prosecuted. Right. And it all started with one click of a button and a join and match between two standard tables that typically aren't compared because the human resources department with the employees doesn't normally check with the purchasing department for the vendors. So by adding that one basic control... If you find a vendor that is a shell company, it'll pop out through that. You can also use different tools to find more information about the different people to see if they're associated with any companies that the entity's using. Right. 
And then other, I guess, unusual things, uh, dates or round numbers are a little more unusual in our world too, right? Things like that. The round number transactions lead to potential cash withdrawals when uh -huh. you see them in purchasing cards. So we always tend to look for $20, $50, $100 increments because that's what you would withdraw from the ATM. Right, right. So yeah. far, we <laughs> haven't had any issues. We haven't found that one or uncovered that one in the audits, but we've used keyword searches and we've mm -hmm. been able to find gift card purchases, which is a cash equivalent with no records to support where the ca gift cards went or who they were given to. Right. So, I don't know if you had some uh, any stories or examples where uh, you know some some schemes or things you may have found out there. I know you gave us one, but something you know another example of what you may have found that, uh, through these kind of techniques and what, what happened? Well, we just found in a recent audit, we started with a planned routine audit for credit cards. We implemented the data analytics for how we were selecting the samples based on a series of different parameters. We used parameters for separation dates for the employee to see if transactions were still occurring on the purchasing cards or credit cards after they no longer were there. Mm -hmm. yeah. In this particular instance, we found that a few of the employees still had purchases after they no longer worked with the entity. Okay. The explanation we were given was that the card was being used by current employees under a former employee's name until they could get their own card, but that's a complete internal control weakness which puts the town at a extreme risk. Another search we did for the data analytics was keyword searches, and we were able to find gift cards, food purchases, entertainment purchases, and different IT devices. Mm -hmm. There were 33 tablet devices purchased, but it wasn't clear who had them or where they were being used in the entity. No records were able to be provided for where the items were. We used purchases on holidays. Hmm. Oftentimes around the holidays, purchasing cards can be used when the entity's closed, even though it's a holiday. Sure. <laughs> so there may be transactions for that, and you'll start to see an increase in purchases you can look at the different trends to see how those trends are applying if an employee never spends money or spends up to five hundred dollars then all of a sudden around Christmas spends two thousand those transactions are a much higher risk and you can look at the trend analysis to determine which employees have changed spending habits right it's much easier when the data analytics do it for you because they'll give you nice charts or examples and it pops out the information based on the parameters that you're setting so the key is make sure your people are trained really well mm -hmm. so that they know how to set up the parameters because if they don't set up the parameters well, they're going to end up with thousands of transactions instead of the 100 to right. 200 you're trying to find. Another search that we did in the current audit was for keyword searches. We typed in gifts and entertainment mm -hmm. and cruises <laughs> and MCC codes, which MCC, an MC, right. the yeah. MCC code is the code applied to certain types of categories like amusement parks or cruise ships or entertainment, food purchases, mm -hmm. clothing. We were able to find about $13,000 of entertainment tickets purchased for football games and baseball games wow. and Sunday brunches on a cruise. <laughs> they may have been for perfectly legitimate reasons, 
but there was no support that was provided to show that it was for a legitimate transaction. So right. the taxpayers have a right to know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of federal you know regulations, a lot of those things are just straight out, you know, prohibited. Period. And the policies prohibit it, but what the towns aren't realizing or the municipalities aren't realizing is that they can just block the MCC code and then they don't have to worry about it at all. (laughs) A lot of times it seems the federal government blocks those MCC codes, so you have much more limited spending. At the local level, if the purchasing card person or the professional is potentially a procurement agent instead of somebody who deals with credit cards on a day-to-day basis, they may not know to implement those types of controls. Exactly. So um, one thing uh, to put out there, since we're at the fraud conference, uh, and maybe maybe it's a little biased towards the fraud because you guys do a lot of forensic things and things like that, but I'm just curious, you know, what percent of of your audits or findings do you feel are really fraud related versus just bad controls or you know honest mistakes things like that it's hard to give a percentage on that without sitting down and reviewing everything it depends on the entity some come in from a complaint and it's based on the allegation Mm -hmm. supporting the allegation doesn't mean that it's fraud specifically it could just be a weak control that leads for the potential for fraud sure sure so the two go together in our office we've only been in existence for about eight years and we were put into existence because different government officials had gotten caught doing things they weren't supposed to do right a bunch of those officials were arrested and put in jail Hmm. so in florida we got the name corruption county in palm beach county yeah which led to a voter referendum that put a little over 70% of people voted to have the Office of Inspector General set up with full independence Mm -hmm. from the different governments to provide the services for audit and investigations and contract oversight. So when we got put in, the office was split. The, The two biggest divisions are audits and investigations. And now, in recent years, we're starting to do joint projects where we're working together from the start contract oversight also works with the investigative team a lot as well Mm -hmm. so across the board you have a series of different factors that can lead to different percentages depending on how you categorize them sure for us we have about 35 to 40 reports that we've put out as audit and from those reports there have been about eight to ten arrests and about 20 referrals to other agencies for further review that we aren't in the specialty area to conduct the research further. So we've done a lot of water and public safety audits for controls over the water programs and cross-contamination and do they have the EPA required programs, but not necessarily have we done the full research because we don't have the specialty experts to do the water testing. Sure. So sure. when we have those types of problems, they're normally controls based, not fraud based. Right. But it has a bigger ramification if something goes wrong. So they get referred to the health department and EPA so they can come in and do the additional testing. Right. And you all do vendor audits as well? Or we do. Give me a little bit about that. Usually the vendor audits start from a contract issue Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
so one of our most recent ones has was referred to us pertaining to a specific agreement with a specific contractor and a specific entity from there each one's different because every contract's different so sure. you never know what the terms are going to be until you get into further detail on that specific contract for the one that we just did it was a whistleblower Mm -hmm. that came forward fr with insider information saying that they didn't believe that certain things were properly conducted. We don't believe that fraud occurred in the audit or with the complaints, but the complaints were valid. Mm -hmm. So it turned into the group of employees conducted amendments to the contract without seeking their board's approval. Ah, uh, okay leading to a high number in question costs and them having to go back through their board to get those approvals. That one didn't turn into a specific invoice audit. Mm -hmm. Then you have others that we received another complaint that was referred to us for uh, forensic review and in-depth review of the transactions under a specific contract where there were questions about billing and rates and invoicing and services outside of the scope of the contract where we've had a bunch of different types. On those, if it's a complete forensic audit, you're probably going to be doing 100% samples, so the data analytics doesn't help you as much. Mm -hmm. The data analytics for risk selection and transaction selection helps more when you have a monster population that there's no way you could test the whole population. So you're trying to find the fraud or the specific item that has that problem that was reported. Right. So uh, a couple more topics for you, but one thing I w did want to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, it's just feels like it would be getting harder and harder to commit certain types of fraud these days just because everything's connected. The data data is being captured on you everywhere you go. You know, credit cards obviously have been doing it for a long time, but you know, there's cameras everywhere. There's just, I mean, are you seeing that things are pretty steady and people just find new ways to commit fraud or are some of these things preventing it a little bit? It could be either one. Yeah. In our case, we have 42 jurisdictions that all conduct business differently. Mm. Some are very IT savvy and very IT connected where the controls are in place and there are different connections where it requires two people to take action, where one person can't do everything altogether. In most of the instances where we're finding the issues, it's not in the environment with the full IT controls and the different processes that are all linked together. It's in the jurisdictions that are smaller, sure. that don't have as many resources, that aren't IT savvy. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are just missing the routine basic controls for having two people involved in a process or how does the information flow through the process that the employees themselves don't necessarily understand the full process. They know what their role is, but they don't know where their role leads to the next. Right. So in the payroll audits that I've conducted in time, we've found that Manual time cards are still being completed. Hmm. The supervisors still review the manual time cards. A timekeeper has to complete data entry for those time cards. Somebody has to review the timekeeper's entries, and then it gets processed through a completely different department in payroll. Mm -hmm. If all parties don't know how the system works, it's very easy to overlook the types of risks that arise. In one of the 
payroll audits that I looked at before in a prior job, it happened that the timekeeper and the supervisor were in collusion. Yeah. <laughs> but the payroll person in the other department wasn't properly reviewing anything either because they were approving 24-hour shifts for locations that were only open 12 hours. Wow. Or the numbers didn't add up. Yeah. So had the payroll person been looking at the different pieces and how they hooked together and understood the operations, they would have realized that the things that were being reported weren't possible. Right. And it just wasn't being reviewed that way. Hmm. In the end, two people took deals and had criminal charges that they were convicted of because everybody was working together at the lower level. Right. No, so anywhere where there's, you know, lack of controls, a good control environment, there's going to be opportunities and folks are going to take advantage, unfortunately. So. Unfortunately. Well, let's, uh, one more topic for you, and we want to get back to the conference soon, but um, just wanted to get your opinion on if, if folks want to kind of step up their analytics uh, savvy or, you know, there's an organization, let's say an accounting shop, and they want to do something a little bit more in-depth, you know, where, where, where would you recommend they start, you know? What do we do? To start a program starts with somebody has to visualize it and see it, as with any good idea. Mm-hmm. You need one person who understands the benefits to be the champion to get the program started. Once you have that initial person, they become the specialist. They Mm -hmm. become the champion. They become the person saying, hey, if you do this instead of that, you'll find these results. Or they can just pull the results in a few clicks of a button that's something that would have taken somebody else days to put together using the computer brain is much faster than ours, and you lose the element of human error. You can only review so many transactions before your eyes blur out. Right. The computer (laughs) nicely will do it for you, and you don't have to do the effort once you set the parameters. You have to think about, what what am I going to do? What analysis? I mean, that's that's the hard part. You know, what am I trying to find here? What should I... And the the hardest part is identifying what process are you looking at. Mm Mm-hmm understanding the process so usually before you even start with the data analytics the person doing the data analytics needs to understand how to do a process walkthrough and understand control points in the process right once they know where the control points are or aren't they can then set the parameters around that to find the specific items that they're looking for but once you have that person who has the ability you want to give them the training and cross-training, but you can launch a program for about $3,000 with sending your person to an on-site training and buying the license for that person. Sure. It has an initial few thousand dollar investment, but it can save you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you're using it, you don't have to be an auditor to use it, and you don't have to be an investigator to use it. You could be a operations analyst who's using it to monitor to find the issues or find duplicate payments or vendor invoices that were put in twice. And then you don't have to worry about it at all from the audit side because you've already been doing it as the proactive monitoring side once you build the tests out. As you go into it, though, once they have the training to be able to set it up, somebody has to set the goals, the objectives, and align the analytics, which is what you were referencing is that if you don't know what your objective is, you're not going to be able to figure out what your data analytics should be looking for. Right. And then start with knowing your data and the quick wins. If you are going to take 
data analytics to the next level and everybody's a little on edge or they're not technology savvy, you're going to have to prove that it works. Take your low lent your lowest area wins your low-lying fruits right. p card audits always the winner mm -hmm. payroll audits you can usually find where the information in the system doesn't match the information being fed into the system mm -hmm. cash disbursements wherever money's going out of the company or the or the governmental entity where the money leaves is where the risk is so you can focus on cash disbursements as a quick win initially right that makes sense. And I mean, you don't have to go out and buy all these fancy tools. You can start with Excel, right? You Some can. Of special packs and features that are already included. In tool packs, the Microsoft Excel has a tool pack feature. It's there from the start at no additional charge. Right. All you have to do is download it mm -hmm. in one of the tabs. Once you download it, it gives you all the statistical analysis, and you can type in Google. I want to do descriptive statistics for regression analysis. It'll tell you step-by-step step how to do that analysis or how to set up the trends within the system. Right. And there's YouTube videos now and all these things. I mean, it's amazing. Information's out there. <laughs> you it want to is. Find it. And if you're proactive and a self-learner, it's not hard to learn it. Yeah, and you just, it just takes one in the office to kind of get the bug going, I think. so. Well, uh, I think our time is up, but thank you very much for joining us today. Um, we're also going to post um, some slides on the website because you, you gave us some great examples and some of that low-lying fruit that anybody can go out and set up a little analysis and try it out themselves. And uh, so this has been great. So Megan, appreciate you joining the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Come visit us at AGACGFM see all the podcasts that we have available we'll be posting all the con some content from today's show online uh, on there as well so we have some slides that Megan provided so you can get more information so until next time this is Paul Marshall signing off for accountability talks with AGA